Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Brews and Belters podcast. This is season two, episode 11. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Please follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Brews and Belters. And I uh, just want to let everyone know, sorry for the last two weeks being on a little hiatus. I went on strike. Uh, I wanted to be the person to open moving forward for our podcast total episode 40 on. Um, so yeah, sorry for the last two weeks, but I'm back. Uh, my name's Toby Hinefeld. I am drinking tonight. Actually, I want to kind of do that as if I'm going into AA meeting. Uh, hi, my name is Toby Hinefeld, and this is my first stout I've ever drank on the podcast. Uh, so tonight I'm having a uh, Surly Brewing Company coffee bender. It's a brown ale with uh, coffee added to it. Uh, yeah, it comes in a tall boy can. Looks really good. Uh, with me, as always, is the one and only... Dressed dapper with a button down, looking good. Keegan Gowitz. Keegan, what are you sipping on? Hello, everybody. Um, tonight, I am sipping on a uh, Hefeweizen from our neighbors, uh, well, my place of employment's neighbors, um, the Milwaukee Brewing Co. Uh, wheat ale, obviously, 5%. Pretty tasty, nice, refreshing little brew. Maybe a little bit more of a summer brew. I've been on the Oktoberfest cake lately, but... It's tasty. It's nice. Uh, we had a little happy hour, so already a little loose, and it's a nice, uh, nice little nightcap. It's going down the hatch well. Um, what was that brewery called again? Milwaukee Brewing Co. So, quick story about that. Yep. We are joined tonight by the one and only, who is our guest appearance of all time. Hype me up, Keegan. At MKE underscore EFC on Twitter. It is Jack Butler, and he has brought me to that brewery before. And yeah, delicious brewery. Jack, what are you sipping on tonight? Uh, it is great to be back, gents. Uh, tonight, I am sipping on New Barons Brewing Co-op uh, founded last year in Milwaukee, which I am a owner in. I am drinking their IPA uh, called, what is it called? No work, all play. That's what it's called. No work, all play. IPA from New Barons. Love the sound of that. Delicious. Love it. Well, thank you for being here tonight, Jack. Um, quickly, over the last two weeks, uh, there's been some not huge shakeup, but there has been some shakeup in the Premier League as a whole. Uh, so we have the Premier League table as of right now. It's sitting in first place is Chelsea. Second place is City, third place West Ham, fourth Liverpool, fifth Arsenal, sixth United, seventh Brighton, eighth Wolves, exactly where we all thought Brighton and Wolves would be. And then, of course, nine, my Tottenham Hotspurs, ten Crystal Palace, and I'll even take us to 11 just because Jack's there with Everton. And then uh, just a quick shout-out, one thing, 20 is Norwich, but they they look pretty good this weekend. Uh, Pookie, just want to shout you out, too. Thank you very much. Um, so... When we first started this a couple months ago uh, for the season, we were all on the Chelsea bandwagon, jumped off that onto the City bandwagon, jumped off that, if Keegan allowed me to, got on the Liverpool bandwagon. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we kind of had a changing of the guard, I think, on Sunday. Uh, West Ham defeated Liverpool. Um, I mean, it was a pretty refreshing, in my opinion, to see a team like West Ham do what they're doing right now with uh, David Moyes and uh, 
yeah, it's a lot different than what Mike Tottenham Hotspurs have done, Arsenal and everyone else, where they haven't had to spend the big money. They've just had good coaching and good player performances on a in-and-out basis. Um, I think from an outsider's perspective, not really caring too much about this game, uh, I think West Ham won it on the set pieces. Uh, I think Antonio just bending over like he was, just pretty much getting in Allison's hip. Uh, there was no help given to Allison, and he had to fight off a guy while doing that, and literally it was an own goal in the fourth minute. And then uh, there was also a Kurt Zuma, shout out to the anime guy. Uh, he got a goal in the, I think, 70th minute for the third goal for them. Higgs, what did you think about this? Yeah, um, obviously disappointing, but Liverpool have been playing really, really well, and this is kind of what we see in the Premier League, is teams will play really really well they feel like the favorite how many times just like you mentioned earlier have we said you know oh this is this is our favorite this is our team this is you know who we expect to to carry on and win it but it's just such a long season there's so many ups and downs so many games played in between you got international break now you got champions league during the week um so it's just a lot to continue playing at a high level uh and on top of that you got a team like West Ham that's just really, really, really good, um, like sneaky good. I don't think people really realize. I think it all starts in the midfield as well. Um, when you've got two guys like Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek who kind of set the the tone in the middle, um, they're just sturdy, solid, reliable players. And then up front, you've got so much attacking talent. You know, you've got four nows going forward. You've got Antonio, obviously, who's been amazing. Um, you've got Saeed Benrama, who's been super, super good this year as well. Um, Jared Bowen, like they've just got a really, really sound lineup where all of those guys play their part. Uh, it reminds me of when, when Jose first took over Tottenham, everyone seemed to be bought into the system. Everyone seemed to be bought into their role. Uh, you had Kane and Son kind of taking things up front, playing on the counter like that, and everyone else just filed in behind them. You had Hoiberg playing his role. The defense wasn't great, but they were getting their job done. And that's how West Ham is, where like it doesn't feel like there's any ego on that team. They're just all pieces that play their role, and that's, what I think, what makes them really special, really lovable as well. So, yeah, I mean, no shocker that... that they kind of got the job done on set pieces. That's been their bread and butter. Um, frustrating because Liverpool, that's sort of their weakness too, I think, is defensively just being organized. Since Even since Van Dyke came back, I feel like they're just not super organized. I love Trent Alexander-Arnold, but he's not always in the right position. You saw him on the Zuma corner um, just kind of standing behind him. like He didn't know really where the ball was going to fall. And... Uh, it's just kind of frustrating. You go into a match like that against a team who is particularly deadly on set pieces, and you're not ready for that, and you get caught out twice. Um, yeah. You know, just just kind of frustrating as a supporter. But I don't know. I mean, one match in 39, so uh, you just got to hope that they bounce back and, and play better moving forward. But, I mean, you have to give credit to West Ham as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jack and... Is Declan Rice the best English player in the world right now? Or the best English player in England? <laughs> uh, I mean, 
I mean, until he sold out when he was playing for Ireland until like two years ago and then switched over to England. Okay. Uh, 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 so just a quick shag on him to, to <laughs> flop sides. but Him and Jackie Grealish. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I no, I don't think so. He He's way more. I think what he's doing is having a true coming out party. Um, right? Like, I, I mean, I would still say Harry Kane is the best English player at the moment. I'd say Jack Grealish is probably just a collectively better person. But what Declan Rice is doing is um, is showing what he's all about and playing in a David Moyes system that is suiting his game. And what Moyes has done throughout his entire career is get people bought into him and get people bought into a system. Um, and Declan Rice is... Uh, um, is thriving in it, and I, I, mean, I love it. I, I love watching Declan Rice play. Um, so, is he the best player in the world? I, he, he could be. I just don't think he's there yet. Um, you know, for England, but um, it's really cool to watch him in that system, though, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, with West Ham getting that Liverpool heat check uh, in tune, uh, besides that, over the last two weeks, there's been a little bit of a coaching carousel or lack thereof in some teams uh my tottenham hospers came in with a new hire of conte uh and that dude lit them up midweek they went they went to the euros got like there was like three red cards between both teams they give up two goals to some guy team i don't even know where they're from uh afterwards he told the team a good portion of them are fat he is not allowing them to eat mayonnaise or ketchup while on the premises of, of Tottenham Hotspur. And, uh, yeah, he's getting them in gear. Uh, three of his major assistant coaches are all fitness people. So, like, it's only a matter of time until he has them burning like uh, like Juve used to do back in the day. Um, there's been some whispers of a Gareth Bell fail link. Uh, don't at me that he was trash last year. He put up 11 goals. He was one of the top leading scorers in the Premier League. Uh, so with that, um, what I noticed when they played Everton, uh, was that they were better at pressing, they were quicker at it, and their wingbacks were playing higher, that they were giving the Everton wingbacks troubles that someone like it, uh, Jack, what's the kid from France? Is it Digny? Digny? Uh, Digny. Yeah, so they were giving him troubles that there were certain times he was having to sag back and not play up to as far up the pitch as what he usually would want to. Um, I still don't see that much from Harry Kane. Uh, Human Son's still trying to find his way in this. Like, I mean, it's going to take some time, but uh, yeah, it was an awesome signing. Uh, Jack, what did you think of the Everton uh, performance on set, on Sunday? Um, so a tough matchup right like Everton has been on the downward spiral since we came back from the last international break and then a tough ask to come into a new manager that manager's Conte to play a Spurs team um the, you know, the first half Everton did not look good um really disorganized uh, I'll take that back it wasn't disorganized but there no team really had any challenges you they were figuring it out. In the second half, you knew Conte just didn't want to just didn't want to lose, right? Like Conte was playing pretty much five at the back. Everton was on the front foot. It's at Goodison Park. Goodison Park was roaring in the second half. Um, 
Yeah, so Conte had it well positioned. Um, I thought Everton to get a point was was fine. Um, uh, you know, did it deserve a goal? I don't know if it deserved a goal. I don't know if either one deserved to win. Uh, but it was at least entertaining. Um, you know, Everton itself, uh, uh, back from when we were talking about this last year, there's just nothing on the bench that can help us as soon as we have a couple injuries there's nothing there that's creative um yeah. you know we're trying to play Richarlison up front uh it's just not the same as when you're missing DCL um it, it, it's pretty troublesome for Everton at the moment um luckily the bottom half of the league is pretty pretty freaking terrible so uh um I'm not nervous about anything like going down by any means but like if you watch us against wolves that first half against wolves was literally like the worst 45 minutes of soccer that i've seen in a long time um so and so anyway a draw against uh, a conte team that didn't want to give up a goal i'll take it um international break hopefully we get yuri mina back hopefully we get some some better uh pressing stuff. I mean, we just don't really have a lot of people that are creative in the midfield at the moment. Um, Allen and Davies, uh, Fabian Delph has had a couple of good couple games, which no one thought that he was going to do anything. Um, so yeah, so I, I'll take a point against uh, a Conte team. Yeah, that's a loser speak, but I like it. Uh, Keegan, do you think that was a PK on the re- VAR report. Oh, wait, wait, back up. A loser speak? What the? You just tied Everton after what are you, what are you yeah, talking we, about? I, we're trash I, right now, Jack. <laughs> uh, we, we spent one and a half million dollars in January. How much have you spent in the last year? Like, the, uh, it is a loss for Tottenham, not a loss for us. <laughs> uh, Keegan, did you think that was a PK on the VAR reversal or Charleston? And also, what did you think of Antonio Conte? Um, I was in between on the penalty. I'd actually prefer to let you and Jack duel that out just for entertainment's sake. Um, Conte, kind of what you expected. Like Jack mentioned, he... I think he was kind of going for it in the first half and then played a little bit more defensive in the second half. I don't really think we'll see that from him so much moving forward unless they're playing a team that's just miles better than them. Um, but I, I do really like the signing because Tottenham is just a team that hasn't really had a chip on their shoulder like ever, it feels like. Um you know, with Poch, when they went to the Champions League final, they had some swagger and they had some morale and energy and, and momentum. But, you know, like the argument is, or like anybody who shits on Tottenham or, or, or anything is like, you've never won anything big. You've never won anything significant. And I think that mentality kind of seeps into the club at a certain point where you, maybe you don't expect that. And I think Conte will flip that on its head where Conte doesn't give a fuck if he's coaching the smallest club in the world. He expects to win. He demand he doesn't expect to win. He demands to win. He demands to, to see your best. And they have good players. So I really like the signing. I think that he'll change kind of the mentality and like aura of the club. So I think it'll be interesting to see that. I'm interested to see how Harry Kane responds, Son responds, you know, those bigger players, Hoybeer. Like, 
kind of how they answer that call and that whether or not they carry that same chip on their shoulder that Conte carries. Uh, and I don't expect him to play super defensive. I think that was just a you know lack of time coming in um, or since being signed. However, I do think he's smart enough and has that kind of in- Italian mindset of like patience and and building up from the back and being solid in the back where when they play a team that's just clearly better than them, uh, I think they will defend. But I do expect them to be pretty pretty attacking moving forward and have that chip on their shoulder that they're going to go out and try and get the win. They're not going to play for ties like they maybe have in the past. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty interested to see how things go. But the penalty, I was kind of in between. Um, I think he did get his foot a bit. So I don't know. I don't know. It was close. It was close. I, I really is, want to see you guys duke it out here for this. No, but this, We don't need to because all I'm saying is Hugo Lloris has some of the quickest and strongest hands in the world. And compared to Richarlison, which probably doesn't have a top 500 ankle speed, no way. Like, that was not a PK. So, so whether or not it was by the books a PK or not, this is my issue just overall with VAR, right? Like... Um, the ref makes a call, and unless if there's conclusive evidence that 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 call should be overturned, like that call stands, right? Like that's by the books what it should be. That's what it is, right? Like in the NFL, you gotta find conclusive evidence that that right. Like there's something that has to overturn what the ref call on the field. So when VAR, when the when the up top ref says, right, like we're taking a look at it, and then right, you need to come and check this out. What VAR is then saying is, you know, we're seeing something. You better see something, right? When you come over to the screen, and right, like then you make the call. Because no matter how many times I've seen the replay, there's nothing about that that shows me that there's conclusive evidence that he touched the ball first. Every single angle, I haven't seen anything that showed that. The, again, and maybe he did, but it's like, let the ref ref. You know, like that's my issue with VAR and how it's presented in <coughs> England, at least, is like the referees don't have. Like, like you stick with it on the. What the call is on the field, unless if there's something that genuinely overturns it, right? Like. Um, I don't, I, that's, that's my thing. Um, I think if that's a a smaller club, uh, that call goes the other way. Um, but you know, what are you going to do? Moving on. Um, (laughs) so Aston Villa played on Friday and dropped points to Southampton. Uh, Belter preview alert. That is my Belter of the week. Absolute howler by Adam Armstrong. Uh, which pretty much sent Aston Villa coach away. And then this Jack Graylish knew this was coming like a month or two ago. And so that's why he signed with Manchester City is because he did not want to be a part of this game. That belter was that good of a belter. Uh, and with that, Steven Gerrard is coming in to uh, coach Aston Villa from the Scottish uh, Premier League, Glasgow Rangers. Uh, I don't know much about the Scottish League, Jack. I, is, is it a great signing? Is it just a good signing, a prove-it signing before stepping stone? Like, what is it? Um, if anything, it shows, like, how low on the totem pole the Scottish Premier League is. Like, that's a, there's there's two things to me that, like, this stands out. One, I don't think Dean Smith should have gotten the sack. 
Uh, to to be honest, like I think he was kind of done a little wrong. A guy who takes Villa from bottom half of the championship, gets him promoted, stays up in the league. Yeah, he loses five, but you just sold the heart and soul of your club in Jack Grealish. Yeah. And you got to give him some time to fix it back together, right? Like, on the business side, obviously Villa is being very aggressive, right? Like, they are looking at European spots this year. That slump is not good enough for them, so, like, that's their club's decision. But in my opinion, you sell the heart and soul of your club and the best player on your club by far, give the man a little bit of time, right? So that's that's my take on just, like, Dean Smith sacking in general. Um, I don't know if you want to chime in on that, but then like Stevie, Keeks, what you got? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying too with with bringing a a young player like Leon Bailey too, who's coming from the Bundesliga, like he has not performed as they expected either, so that plays into it too. And I don't know, maybe internally there's something where they don't think that Dean Smith clicks with him, or or maybe he's not using him correctly. But like players. It takes time for players to adjust. You see it with Jaden Sancho right now at United. Like it takes time for players to adjust to a new league, and that's a huge piece. Jayden that's Sancho, that's their I biggest pickup. What's that? I said I think that's his coach, not Jaden Sancho. I don't know, man. I mean, Sancho's been put into a good place. He's got weapons around him. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, sure, I, I, we we can shit on Ole all we want. I'm happy to do that, but. Like, you know, it, it is a transition. You saw with Timo Werner last year, too, and they've got one – Tuchel's one of the top managers in the world right now. Like, it's – it takes time to make that transition. You've ta- you've seen players talking about that as well. Um, and certain players adapt better than others. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with you there, Jack, where, like, you've lost your heart and soul. You're bringing in new guys – and uh, it's going to take some time. And that just goes to show, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it just goes to show how short of a leash a lot of these managers are on, uh, with the exception uh, of the aforementioned Ale Gunnar Solskjaer. <laughs> yes, like, it. so with that, I mean, with that as just kind of like my 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 caveat coming into the conversation, Stevie Gerrard's, you know, right, like, uh, done great things with Rangers, um, shows how little is thought of of the Scottish League, which is sad in my opinion because I, I I love watching the Scottish League. Um, uh, right when Rogers left Celtic to go to Leicester, right, and now you have Stevie Gerrard going to Villa. Now Villa is a Villa is a huge club, right? Uh, but he's got Rangers winning titles and in Europe, but he would rather take on a project in you know the Premier League which says something same thing about Brendan Rodgers Brendan Rodgers right has a championship winning club in Scotland and Celtic and a champ in a in a team that's playing the Champions League but he would rather take on a project in Leicester so it, it to me it's 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 also just a showing of where managers and where Scottish soccer is in the global stage um that they would rather take projects on than play in European soccer up in Scotland. Um, you know, Stevie Gerrard's going to be, I, I think it's a, a good hire. Um, you know, um, I, I mean, I don't, 
I th- I think like what Villa's obviously Villa's wanting European soccer and Gerard has been there as a player, right? He's got a little bit of it under a management style. It's a club that wants to play a progressive style of soccer. Um, and I, I, I'm excited to see what the project is, but also sad that uh, he's leaving a, a really big club in, in Rangers. And that's me saying as uh, someone that supports Celtic, you know, on the side. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Also, without having any Saudi American blood money, uh, Aston Villa is still in 16th. You know, they're going to be where they're at. So I don't know. Maybe they're just thinking they're too close to relegation com- compared to where they were last year. But the year before, they had to win the very last game of the season just to make it out of relegation from being their promotion. Um, so with that Saudi that Saudi blood money uh, comes Newcastle. Uh, and they just made a hire as well yesterday. And Eddie Howe, uh, the darling from uh, Bournemouth, uh, who, I mean, three years ago was being looked at by major clubs, including Tottenham, um, for uh, managerial vacancies. So he goes to Bournemouth, uh, or excuse me, he goes to Newcastle from Bournemouth. Um, I don't really have any opinion on it. I don't think Newcastle really knows what they're doing. I think they're just going to start building stuff by spending money in the next two years. What do you guys think? Anything? Yeah, I mean... I don't know. That's it? Football football manager of the decade is like something that he won back in the day. Like, I, I don't know. It seems like maybe a hype signing. I don't know. I, I guess I'm not maybe as he like. coach. I mean, he had yeah. no payroll at Bournemouth. None whatsoever. Right. And Just like Brighton's coach. Those guys know what they're doing on the pitch, how to control men in a locker room like. My thing again, um, going back to players adjusting, I'm I'm just really curious what Newcastle will do with the players that they sign and how much Eddie Howe actually will have to do with that. You know what I mean? Like you've got all this money, you've got ownership who I guess I don't know a ton about private investment fund, but um, I would imagine there's a little bit of an ego behind that money. And I'm curious how much Eddie Howe will have a say on here's who we sign. Here's the system I want to play, blah, blah, blah. I mean, system wise, sure. But here's who we want to sign. I don't know. And again, it goes to if you want to bring a bunch of players in from other leagues to the Premier League, like the Premier League is a different beast. I don't care what people want to say about La Liga or Serie A or Bundesliga like it takes players and players have said this themselves it it takes time for players to adjust to it from I mean it's it's that blend of skill and physicality that other leagues just don't seem to have they tend to have one or the other and so I'm curious what players they bring in who can quickly catch up to that balance within the Premier League and on top of that, you bring in a new manager, and it's like, how much control is he going to have over this? Because if you have a manager who has a say in who you bring in, then they have they can control that variable a little bit. But if you just throw a bunch of players at a manager, he may not know how to manage them. He may not know how to talk to them or or work with them. So I just think it depends on that collaboration between the owner and how and... Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm I'm curious to see. I mean, they're they're battling right now to stay in the Premier League first and foremost. So he's got to deal with what he's got now. They got to hope they can pick some people up over the winter. And on top of that, like, there's going to be certain players that just don't want to go play there after the reputation they've gotten with this new ownership. Um, you know, I mean, certain players will go chase the money, and certain players will probably stay away from there. So, I don't know. I have no idea what what will happen. So, of those three coaches, there's one that we thought would also be getting put in in this coaching carousel, and that is Alexander Solskjaer of Manchester United. Saturday went in for the Manchester Derby and lost 2-0 to Manchester City with an Eric Bailey own goal uh, right off the bat. And then a Bernardo Silva, these hips don't lie, perfect little touch-in right over the goalie. Uh, beautiful goal. Um, 2-0, I was expecting that would be the final nail in the coffin. I didn't care what any of the pundits were saying about, you know, he's going to make it through the season no matter what. Um, I thought that would have been the final straw, but uh, of course it wasn't. Uh, Jack, right, what's going on in Manchester United? What is it? Um, I, I don't get Manchester United, man. Like, Manchester United says that they're everything about their tradition, everything about who they are as a club is that they are cutthroat, offensive-minded, going to do the job, right? Like, I don't understand why they keep hanging on to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And and you'll see, hang on to a manager that you shouldn't hang on to, you lost out on Conte, right? Like, uh, they're hanging on to a guy and they're losing out on world-class manager. Like, if I was a United fan and I thought that the title should have been won this year or it needs to be won next year because by the books, right, outside of Fred, it's a pretty good lineup. Um, Like... (laughs) You know... (laughs) <laughs> Minus Fred. I don't know why. No, we've been saying it. And now Paul Pogba's done for the season with, right. a, with an injury in the France uh, national team this week. Donnie. Last week. Time for Donnie so, to shine. It is. I, but, but like, what, I, I just don't get what the – if it's the Glazers, if it's – or if it's Greenwood. Like, I, I don't know what the issue is, like, in the executives that uh, – that aren't pulling the plug here. Like, Ole's had plenty of time and plenty of money to build the roster and get them to win in the league. And the Darby was a perfect example that he's nowhere close. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think if I had to put any sort of, like, bow on all of this, it would be that I think Manchester United is still banking on the Super League. And so they don't really care where they're going to be placed in the Premier League this year because they're just banking on the champions on the Champions League Super League. Like, that's, they're still, all their eggs are in that basket. Uh, I mean, from a Manchester City perspective of this weekend, uh, Kevin De Bruyne said in a post-game interview that Pep usually has, like, a tactical training. That's all they do the day before or two days before the game. And this match, they just did 10 minutes because Pep evidently said that he has no idea 
that they have no or they have no idea that he what they're doing and he has no idea what they're doing. Like so that's and so practice was done in ten minutes, Kevin De Bruyne said. Like like the simple fact that that's what the manager and the players of your biggest rival in the world think of you is just like it's telling. It's it's absolutely yeah. telling. And I think it goes back to to when Ali and I I've mentioned this in the group chat multiple times and I've talked with other people about this, but just I think it goes back to the appoint appointment of Ale as the the manager. Like to begin, he was an interim manager when Jose left. He was just meant to plug a hole and that's it. And at that time, Bruno was getting settled in, and they were starting to click a little bit. They were feeling it out, and they started to get some results. And they were like, all right, this is easy. Let's just appoint Ale as the the manager. And he seems like a guy, maybe further down the road, he'll be a head manager. But he just seems like a guy who is an assistant manager. Like, that's who he is, and that's just what he is. And... He seems like a guy who's fine with that. You see him on the sideline. He has no animation, no passion. He's just sitting there watching, arms crossed. And it's like... He just doesn't feel like he's a, a real leader, a real first team manager. And... I, I, I don't know, you just feel like he's just been forced into this position, and now on top of that, you don't see managers go from first-team manager, especially not first-team manager of Manchester United, to stepping back down to assistant manager, going to be assistant manager somewhere else. So now it feels like he's been siloed into this head coach role that he's just not a fit for. Like he's simply, there are people who are a fit for it, and there are people who aren't. He's one that's not. And so I'm just curious to see when he does inevitably leave, does he go, maybe he's a head coach somewhere back in Norway. I mean, I don't know what the deal is, but I think his role is assistant manager, um, you know, locker room guy for Manchester United. Like he shouldn't, he should have never been put here permanently. And I, I, I can't help but feel, actually feel bad for the guy. Yeah, I was like, damn, he's already dead. Why are we still double-tapping him? Right. <laughs> uh, and it's been like so, a year of that. It's been like a full yeah. year of that. No, exactly. Um, and we've been harsh on that man on this podcast. Uh, so that concludes our Premier League. Uh, they are, we are currently <laughs> on international break with the Premier League coming back with a huge slate on a Saturday the 20th. Um with the big game of the day being Liverpool at Arsenal. Uh, and then also on Sunday, uh, the team we were just speaking about, Manchester City, is going to be playing Everton. Uh, so those are two big games. Uh, moving on completely. I, um, I, I, I do really quick want to give Arsenal their flowers uh, because Arteta is a guy that... No, we're good, dude. Let's just go No, I, we have to. We have to. Arteta is a guy that we were having this same conversation about. Month, two months ago, and I'm not sure if it's Arteta. I mean, I think it is a little bit Arteta and the young guys, but he gave the young guys a chance. And we don't have to harp on Arsenal. We don't have to shout them out. But if we're going to shout out anybody, it should be Emil Smith-Rowe because he's been fucking balling. He's been unbelievable. Yeah, good. Called up to England, um, well-deserved. And just the style, I think Thomas Partey, too, 
being back in the lineup is huge. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Like he opens up his defensive acumen with Jacka back there, and like he just opens up that line of three that they've got. They play that four-two-three-one, and his defensive ability, his passing ability, opens up that line of three with Odegaard, Saka, and uh, Smith Rowe, and like all of a sudden they're creative. All of a sudden they're attacking. All of a sudden they're like dangerous, and. Um, I think it's that trust that Arteta has given those young guys to, I mean, we saw it like last year, Chelsea, late first half of the season, he finally started playing those guys and it's been a process and they've stuck with him and now it's starting to pay off. I mean, they're fifth in the table, which beginning of the year, they were 18th, 19th after a few, a few weeks. So I do want to shout them out as much as it pains me to shout out Arsenal ever. Um, They do deserve it right now. It kills me that you know that much about that team, but that's okay, whatever. Uh, Jack, USL, what do we got going on right now? Uh, drama, boys. There's drama in the USL, in the NISA ranks. Um, I don't know how much everybody's been following this story, but Detroit City FC, uh, one of the best-supported clubs in the U.S., um, has just announced this week that they're leaving the NISA League. Um, NISA is built as a uh, competitor or a alter- maybe alternative is probably the better word, an alternative to the USL model. It's pushing promotion relegation, pushing back on kind of USL and MLS dominance uh, and really – corporatism in uh, U.S. soccer, uh, which is all what Detroit City has been all about, which is all what the Northern Guard supporters group, the NGS, has been all about for since their inception. Um, and it's ruffled a lot of feathers. They announced that they are indeed going to go to the uh, USL um, after winning their second title in Nisa this year. Um Man, dude, I, I was really emotional about this as a guy who's a fan of lower league soccer and would love to see reform in how soccer, the soccer pyramid is built in um, in our country. I wish it was you know, similar to the rest of the model that it is globally, that it's competitive, that it's an open pyramid, that you don't have that, that you didn't have, that you didn't have to have a millionaire backing it to yeah. be able to perform in, in high levels. Um, and like, and I bought it, I bought into Detroit city's mantra that they were the club that was going to give the middle finger to the establishment. And, um, and now their move to USL feels like a giant kick in the nuts, uh, to, those of us that want to see reform. Um, and the thing that also like really pisses me off about this is like their whole brand, they've made so much money on the brand that they are against the establishment that they don't, that they are the independent club and like you should follow their model, right? Then last year they had you, you could go in and buy shares in the club, become a fan owner in the club, 
all these things. And it was all because they said that we're not going to be like USL and we're not going to be like MLS. And they made a lot of money off of that. And now, and now they're going to go do it. Like, like that, it just seems like it's a, they're sidestepping or they're, um, not just like not living up to their, their aura that is their club, but it feels like they've deceived a lot of people over the years that bought into their thing. And now since they've made money and they're big and they've been winning a couple of titles, now they're going to go, it, it feels like a sellout move. Yeah. Like the, the, it was their entire identity and now their identity is flipped 360. Yes. hundred yeah. percent. Um, now I am not a supporter of their club. I did not buy shares in their club. Um, speaking as a, as an outsider, as someone that kind of saw them as a beacon of hope, in this world of Don Garber bullshit. Um, uh, so that that's the frame of reference that I come from. So I totally get supporters of that club being like, I'm just going to support my club no matter what league they're in. Like, I get it. Like, yeah. um, Jack, did you say, did you just say you did not buy shares? Are you talking about just being a fan? Or are you actually talking about like Green Bay Packers buying shares to own the company? To own the, the team, fan owner. No, no, no. They actually, yeah, fan owner. Like they, they <coughs> opened up. Like you could buy shares in the club um, okay. last year. Yeah, that's pretty uh, good, actually. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, yeah. So no, I've never bought anything that was Detroit City. I didn't buy any shares. I didn't. I didn't do any of that stuff. So I'm speaking from an outsider that just like looked at them as the pinnacle of what we hope. Like the rest of our, not just like the rest of our clubs, but like. A, a a a scheme a a pyramid that was going to go against what the MLS and USL pyramid is. Yeah. Um. So anyway, it's been a lot of uh, heated conversations on Twitter lately. Um. Luckily, I really don't like having Twitter conversations. Um. So I'm glad I have this forum to talk it through. Um. But yeah, man, it's uh, it just feels like eventually we're all going to live in a USL closed pyramid world um which is unfortunate so yeah. where you need a matthew mcconaughey or a jennifer lopez to invest in your with three other people to buy a club yeah i get it yeah yeah um anyway so that's that 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 was the drama of this week in lower league soccer all right you, have you, did you did you guys did you guys follow that story at all or do you guys have it yeah anything not a ton. Um, I mean, you were the one who kind of brought it to light to us, and um, I looked into it a little bit after that, but not not. I didn't have the context before of like what Detroit, you know, like as a club, kind of stood behind and and just that flop, you know, that 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 three sixty that they did. So um super i mean on top of just being like anti you know like pro uh promotion relegation like do things differently on top of that too you brought up like being a a fan-owned club or at least partially fan-owned club like that's why bundesliga fans are so fucking amazing is because their whole system is based on that like um you know the fans the fans own part of that club um and yeah, I mean, it, it, it just goes to further show, like, in the States, we're doing everything ass backwards, where there's just no, there is no passion and, like, connection to 
the club and to the ideals and to the sport, it's all just, it's truly all just money driven. Um, so it is disappointing. So that was Keegan Gowitz and Jack Butler on USL. Uh, Jack repeatedly said, middle finger to the establishment. Word. This kid was born and raised on bad brains and rage against the machine, so this is nothing new. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so the USL is uh, 31 teams. Uh, you know, there are a lot of like second rate, uh, like LA Galaxy, uh, you know, second team uh, players. So a lot of stuff like that. So I'm not sure why Detroit decided on it besides just the sellout factor well, of it or just the money factor of it, which I mean, with so COVID, I get it. So, so I mean, they have some legitimate complaints against Nisa, uh, the league that they were in. It sounds like Nisa is very behind its bills. It sounds like they haven't paid refs in a long time. It sounds like they didn't pay for a lot of the things. So, like that's that's uh, Detroit City's reasons for leaving the league is um, that the but the league is also only like three years old. So, uh, like, that doesn't excuse not paying your bills, but, um, right, it's also it's also lower league soccer where not paying your bills is sadly the standard in lower league soccer in the United States. Right. Uh, Which I think goes to even further the, the point and the narrative of, like, support these lower leagues so that they can flourish and so that they can change yes. things you know what i mean which i think is the point you were getting to i didn't mean to interrupt there but you know i mean that's part of the issue is that there is no funding and like these are the leagues that are driving change these are the clubs that are providing or ch- are, are driving change and if they can't pay their fucking referees then that change just isn't going to happen so that's why that support needs to be there uh yeah, one thousand percent. I mean, if there was any moral of the story, it's support your local teams, whether they're in the MLS, whether in the USL. Like, I maybe don't support them if they're in the MLS, but like USL, like if that's like right, like we live in Wisconsin, Ford Madison. I think yeah. Ford Madison's a great club, right? Like, and I already played in the USL. Like, go support your local team. If your local team is in NISA or U UPSL or any of these other. Uh, NPSL, any of these other leagues, like go support them. Um, just going to a game and buying a couple beers and a slice of pizza, like goes a long way for these really small clubs. So that I mean, that's the moral of the story. Yeah. We're talking to everyone in Chattanooga right now, guys. Go sponsor, go sponsor Chattanooga FC, please. Um. Yes. So all these players all get funneled into. United States men's national team. That's their goal is to play for them. Tomorrow, our A team, USA, is going in minus Gio Reyna to play Mexico in Cincinnati. Hopefully all the uh, hopefully all of Cincinnati's having a bunch of sky chili right now. Um I <laughs> this game uh, I I was hyped when USA beat Mexico. Um, you know, when they actually had their A team in. Uh, I was hyped when they beat them with their kind of MLSB team. Um, but, I mean, I think tomorrow is going to be their biggest test. Like, Mexico is full throttle. They got Raul Jimenez, who is my difference maker at tomorrow, even more so than Christian Pulisic or Wesson McKinney or anyone from the USA. 
I think Raul Jimenez is going to do damage in the center against the United States back line. Um, they have uh, Chucky Lozano back. He's healthy. Um, so, I mean, they have all their attackers. This isn't just Mexico minus a few people. This is Mexico with everyone right now. Um, USA do not have John Brooks, which I thought was crazy. Um, he's been lighting it up, I still think, in the Bundesliga. Maybe not to his standard, uh, but he's still playing well in the Champions League. Like He's doing things that I thought deserved him a center-back position. Um, I think Christian Pulisic was just uh, told today he's not starting. So I expect him to come on in the 60th minute, which I... I'm happy for Greg Berhalter because I think Thomas Tuchel would probably stab him in the chest if he played him 90 minutes tomorrow against Mexico. Is just going to do what they do every time, which is foul him off the ball the entire time. And uh, I hope to God they play Brendan Aronson up on one of the forward positions and they play Ricardo Pepe up top. Um, he has been their biggest goal-scoring threat since he's come onto the team, th- what, three or four starts ago? And yeah. so that's, that's what I expect. Um, is there anything you guys have... <coughs> Any thoughts, any any hopes you wish on starting? I think that the game will be won in the midfield, and I think every USMNT game will be either won or lost in the midfield, honestly. Um, and I look at Mexico's midfield, and you've got Hector Herrera, who plays for Atletico, balls to the wall constantly. Um, you've got Andres Cuadrado, and Diego Linez from Real Betis. They've got that chemistry. They're playing together on a daily basis. And I'm going to be tuned into that. I think both teams have attacking ability. If you've got Aronson, um, Pepe, and the likes for USMNT. And then you've got Chucky Lozano and Jimenez for, for Mexico. So uh, to me, it's going to be a battle of the midfield. Like whoever dominates possession, whoever can move through that channel in the midfield quickest and build up play, um, intercept passes and stuff, I I think will be the winner. Um, so I don't know. I mean, with with a totally healthy Mexico, I think it'll be a good matchup. But I'm I don't know. I'm I'm. I have faith in Tyler Adams. I think he's been a rock for USMNT, but I feel like they've been in between with the rest of the midfield. Um, McKenney's really, really good, but I think he can be really, really good some nights and kind of missing other nights. So I'm curious about the reliability there, Um, whereas I feel like Mexico's midfield might be a little bit more reliable. Jack? I... I'm interested in the coaching matchup, right? Like Burhalter against Tata Martino, who coach. I mean, they they played against each other in MLS with the Crew and Atlanta United for a couple of seasons. Um, I mean, I because to Keek's point, like I think on paper it's a pretty real. It's a very interesting matchup. Um, it's going to be, to me, who's going to have it set up and who's going to be flexible. Burhalter has shown that he sometimes can be a little inflexible with uh, kind of in-game coaching. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the coaching matchup to me is really interesting. Two coaches that know each other, both from international play and from league play. Um, really fascinating to see how they line up. 
what they kind of square against each other since at this point, the last three years, they've gotten to know each other really well. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited for tomorrow, to be honest. And yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. All right. Well, give it to us. What's your score line? Keegan? It's so tough to say. 2-1 either way, I could see. That's exactly uh, what I wrote down. 2-1 either way. Yeah. That really... I mean, you always want USA to win, but I mean, I mean Mexico's always been a beast. Yeah, and they're going to have a chip on their shoulder, I think, walking into Cincinnati. I think yeah, they'll thrive definitely. under that. I really do. I think that they'll enjoy that. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I could see 2-1 either way. It's really tough to call. What about you, Jack? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be, and I'll say like a two-two draw or something. I think it's a draw. I think maybe they uh, score a couple early goals, then maybe by the seventy-seventy-fifth minute or something, they both just kind of, you know, uh, just kind of are happy with it and see what happens. But um, yeah, I'd be excited though. A two-two draw, or like a three-two USA. Um, just because it's in the U.S. and in Cincinnati, luckily not Chicago, where it would be like eighty percent Mexican fans typically when it's in Chicago or like yeah. um, one of those other venues like that. Um, but it's the yeah. piss out of me how they do that. Like if they're playing Jamaica, they play at the like largest Jamaican population city in the country. <laughs> Queens, New playing, York. They're playing anyone. It doesn't matter. It's like why would you do that? Like you get rid of your competitive advantage having a home field advantage. They don't care. They just want to sell tickets, man. Um I do think an interesting thing to point out, Mexico at 14 points, they're good no matter what. They're fine. Um US most likely will be good. I expect Canada plays Costa Rica. I expect them to win, but it's a top 3 in CONCACAF, so uh those three should be fine. Obviously if Panama wins, it makes things a little bit interesting, but um, I do think that that could play into it. Like, obviously, both teams want to finish on top of the group, but Mexico is going out there with really no concerns, and U.S. most likely won't have any any worries either. Um, you know, they should be fine in the group, but there's a little bit more on them. So, um, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays into it as well. Yeah, and uh, kind of speaking uh, further into what you just said. So, I mean, USA played Mexico, and then I think right after they played Jamaica as well. And Jamaica's a fun team, too. They have Mikel Antonio playing for them from West Ham. Yeah. They also have Lee Bailey, who's back from injury, who will be playing with them. Yeah. And then going further into what you're saying about Canada, Canada also has their dude, their Bundesliga champion, and he is going to be running up and down. He plays pretty much at a forward position. Uh, and so, yeah, Canada is just fun to watch uh, as well. So, I mean, it's a tight race. It used to never be like this. It used to pretty much be a three-horse race. There's pretty much four or five teams that are decent in this. So, um, I mean, that pretty much wraps up this. Uh, what we got moving forward, we're always going to do our booze first, negativity out of the way before we get our positive cheers and our belter. Keegan, what do you got for a boo? Anything? No booze, no cheers. Um, and actually, my, Hell yeah. my belter <laughs> My belter was Armstrong, which you already took, so I've got okay. absolutely nothing. <laughs> Clearly, we can't have this guy going for drinks before this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I apologize. Jack, do you have anything? Uh, 
I mean, just because off the top of my head, a boo would be Jurgen Klopp's post game against West Ham. Man, that guy cannot take a loss, man. Like <laughs> you, you've how many they've had? What was it like? Twenty two points where they won, like got a point right for twenty two games in a row. But he couldn't just say West Ham played a really good game. And like Jurgen Klopp is a brilliant manager, right? Like, but he is the worst loser I've ever seen, which is why he's a really good yeah. coach, a top level coach. He doesn't like to lose, uh, but at the same time, like West Ham, man, like they just were, pl- they just, they just had it, you yeah. know, like, uh, so that'll be my boo just cause it's, e- it's an easy one. Yeah. You, um, you, you always got to go at you again. You always do. But, um, I can I can always take a step back and say you're right. He is a horrible loser. Like to the point where it can be painful to watch some of his post games. It it yeah. really can be painful. Uh but to show that I'm not biased, uh my cheer will be at Trent Alexander Arnold. Uh if you saw this story, uh he is he it I think he like started a league in Merseyside. Uh, so Trent Alexander-Arnold is from Merseyside, from the Liverpool area, and he is paying for about 250 youth in between the ages of five and eight to be playing uh, soccer in Merseyside in this league. Um, so props to him, a guy who's given back to the community out of his own dollar. Um, really cool to see from a guy giving back to uh, – to his hometown, so props to him. Belter, I don't really have a huge belter. I didn't watch very many games. I did watch Hertha Berlin against Leverkusen, um, and there was a really good goal by Hertha Berlin. I can't remember what the guy's name because it's Hertha Berlin. Um, but, uh, yeah, fun to watch Bundesliga. That's all I got. Perfect. Yeah, and uh, I love that about Trent Alexander-Arnold giving back. Uh, it's more refreshing to hear that than it is to hear – someone buying a team or something like that, you know? Uh, so that's awesome. Um, I do have a booze at Sheeran a Belcher. That's why I went on this two-week uh, strike, is what I'm going to call it now, uh, for, <laughs> for for opening position, because um, I come prepared, Keegan. Uh, so my boo is directly, this is directly from a BR Football or Bleacher Report. It's a PSG confirm women's midfielder, I'm going to butcher her name, Amanita Diallo, was taken into police custody today, which was on the 10th, uh, following an attack on a club's player. She allegedly hired masked men to injure France and PSG teammate Kiara Hamrui and remove her from competition for playing time. So this girl was a backup and had a hit done on the starter to get more playing time and was arrested for it. So... Toby, that is commitment to the research. My God, what is that story? What is that? This was a big story, actually, which brings me to... Really? I haven't heard this. Which brings me to my point of how shitty I am about this, is both the Trent story and that story, I meant to write down in my notes, and I neglected to do so, which shows how bad of a podcaster I am. These uh, these are all excuses, not... Yeah, no, they are. Absolutely, absolutely they are. Absolutely. So, and my cheer is for kind of something I was hoping would never happen, that 
you know, never know with money. But uh, my cheers for all 20 Premier League clubs unanimously opposing FIFA's two-year World Cup idea. Um, kudos to them because at the rate they're going with the amount of games they're playing, there's going to be way more injuries than there ever has been. And, yeah, I think it's definitely needed uh, that it also would take away from the luster of what the World Cup is, which is a game every four years. It's sad that we're shouting out the Premier League clubs for doing the absolute minimum. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we're also shouting them out for their own interest. Right. Like, they don't want, <laughs> and they don't want them to play in more league, like more games. Like it's just gonna hurt them. <laughs> unless but it's I Super agree. League. I, unless I, it's Super League. Yeah, they don't want any more games. So, so literally, Newcastle's owner is like. Do we do we own any countries like that, <laughs> or do we own any do we own anything like that? Like, how are we going to do this with the World Cup? And they're like, no, we don't. He's like, no, we don't want to. <laughs> yeah, no, we're out. We're out. <laughs> <laughs> and my belter, I've already referenced it. Keegan did too. Oh my gosh, Southampton's Adam Armstrong uh, went to the goalie's right. He was falling left, left footed. Uh, I'm also going to shout out one of my favorite players in the Premier League, especially when I'm watching internationally for uh, Scotland, and that's Shea Adams. That dude is sneaky good, and this ball, he kind of got in and fumbled off a sh- uh, like a shot that kind of ricocheted, and I thought he was going to go for it, and he, he kind of laid off because he saw the guy coming, and Adam Armstrong just, well, oh my gosh, just beltered it, and it was, it's like I literally watched it eight times in a row. Like It was one of those things you see it, and instead of waiting for the slowdown replay, you just instantly rewind yeah. it five seconds and rewatch it. That's I did that like eight times, and then I did it fully through. It was awesome. Yeah, I love the so, Che Adams shout-out. Um, he is just a really good player. I was really sad to see him and Danny Ings split up. Uh, I really, really like that combo. He's a really talented young player, and yeah, I, I look forward to seeing his future at Southampton, man. Um, yeah. We'll definitely. see what happens with James Ward-Prowse and the rest of the crew, but... He's swing. Um, so that is all we have for this podcast. Uh, episode 11 of season two. Um, I also want to quickly shout out my boy, Harvey Barnes, uh, getting a beauty curler. Dude's finally back. I was expecting to be on England's, uh, top tier, uh, of their, uh, nation national team, but here we are. He's back from injury and, uh, he looked good this weekend. So with that, Jack, Thank you for joining us tonight and uh, educating us on the USL. And uh, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.